Welcome to Change of Plans. I'm Andres Zuleta. On Change of Plans, we feature stories of resilience and reinvention, interviewing entrepreneurs and other creative individuals who have found fun and inspiring ways to adapt to sudden, unexpected challenges. My guest today is Tony Naj, a comedian, writer, and filmmaker who was forced to take her work completely online when the coronavirus made in-person stand-up and filmmaking completely impossible. Tony, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, so we have a mutual friend and when she first sent me some of your videos, uh, one of the first ones I watched was you as coronavirus. I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. So what was going on in January and February before everything got crazy? What were you up to? Well, I think as a comedian, stand-up is one of the most important avenues for you to practice material and to gauge where your comedy is at and where the public is at. And I've always been a big believer in exploring a kind of multimedia approach to comedy and what I do. And so I was really kind of balls to the wall performing as much as humanly possible in New York City. and. There is this, you know, the, the, the concept of performing is really difficult in the sense that you want to perform and you're excited about performing and you work and you write and you get everything already. And then five minutes before getting on stage, you're like, why am I doing this? I hate myself. I want to throw up. I can't do it. And the anxiety and the nerves. But then when you get on stage, you have that moment of like, oh, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be connecting with people, not necessarily one-on-one, -on -one, but energetically in the same room and tapping into the cultural pulse. So in January and February, I was like focusing a lot on stand-up. I've always been making videos and I've always been working on films as well. Um, so that's also a part of my desperate need to be heard and paid attention to. <laughs> so um, take us back to kind of that moment when everything did fall apart and you realized, oh crap, I can't keep doing stand-up, for example. So I think for me personally, there was a little bit of a slow build in the sense that I am a big consumer of news and media and I was watching a lot of videos about coronavirus in China. And I was like, wow, that's really fucked up. And for me personally, this, this virus has opened up my eyes to like kind of like my American imperialist privileged viewpoint in the sense that like as I'm watching the Chinese people go through this, I in no way was like, oh, well, it's coming for us next. Um, so when I started realizing that Corona is here and everything is going to change fundamentally for who knows how many years. I also became really inspired and committed to, you know, I've always wanted to be a political comedian and, and have social commentary be part of my work, but it almost seems impossible for me not to be talking about the moment of Corona and almost everything I'm making because it's so deeply embedded in our public consciousness and to discuss anything else. I mean, I know people want a break from things. 
I just like don't have a psychic break in my mind. And so I have not allowed my comedy to have one either. Have you had moments of hesitation where you found it difficult to create work that would suit the current moment? You know, I am a comedian, I'm an entertainer, I'm somebody who likes to focus on joy. And therefore, I have to bring that to tragedy. And there is, you know, thousands of years of this tradition. I mean, if you look back at the Greeks, it's like drama and and comedy. Like these things are hand in hand. And comedy is a philosophy in a certain sense. And it is an opportunity to bring up complex and uncomfortable issues. Um, And that's why I love it. That's why I do it, because I want to provoke people. And yeah, sometimes people are really offended by your provocation and you poking them. And, you know, in a world where people are hypersensitive with reason, you know, you have to just toe that line a bit and still take risks. Comedy, I guess, is relatively easier to translate online. But what's been um, the biggest challenge of transitioning all of your work to be online as opposed to having kind of the online complement the in-person? When you're in front of an audience, you have to face the truth of your ego constantly because you are not impervious to the people consuming your work. You feel their energy. You feel them when they shut off. You feel them when they don't like you. You feel them when you're turning people in a direction they don't want to go. So there's this feedback loop that's really important in terms of how you relate. When you're doing everything online, it's easy to exist. I mean, I think we all experience the bubble of communication when you're, you know, purely friends with a certain type of person and you're getting news from a certain type of source and you can just reinforce your own beliefs and your own ego and become, you know, queen of your domain. Yet that's not necessarily effective if part of your goal is to, you know, infiltrate people's hearts and minds. And for me, I want to. I want to connect to people that don't feel the same as me. I want to be a part of a conversation where someone doesn't agree with me, but maybe they can start to see my point because there is an activism and an effort in art, I think, that a lot of people feel where they want something beyond themselves to be heard. So have you had moments over the last couple of months, um, especially, you know, specifically with your online work, where you have been able to bridge the gap and connect with people who felt differently and have, I guess, thought-provoking conversations with people? You know, I seduce people with like my work. And then there is, especially with Instagram, um, you have your stories or whatever. And for me, you know, especially in the past week, since these protests have taken um, hold of this country, I have been posting and reposting a lot of my political belief blatantly. Um, and it's upset a lot of people who have reacted, but we are having a private conversation because of the nature of Instagram. When someone responds to your story, they have to respond to you directly. And so I've had maybe like eight or nine conversations just yesterday of people who were like incredibly offended by something I posted um, be, you know, whatever their feelings were. And rather than being like, ah, what the fuck in the public space where we're both sitting in our dogma and our ideology, we actually got time and 
a little bit of dignity to have a real conversation, exchange some sources, talk things out, not yell at each other, you know, to really kind of get somewhere together. And that has been like, I mean, I I almost want to cry thinking about it. Like now I'm like friends with some ex-military guy who at first approached me, you know, really aggressively. But like you think, you know, someone that trolls you, trolls you in a public space. And granted, you as a woman, I've gotten trolled plenty of times in the private space. But I don't know, there is something interesting when you can one-on-one connect to somebody who feels differently than you and slowly come to some agreements. And that has been um, really hopeful, you know, like the, the trolling, the public trolling feels really oppressive, but the private trolling, I actually enjoy. <laughs> Do you think that conversations like that, I mean, is that more of an online thing in your opinion, or would you actually also be able to have conversations like that at your in-person events? I think the, I think a huge portion of a population is like very uncomfortable with confrontation or making someone feel uncomfortable knowingly. And I think that's why we have this outlet of the internet where people are oftentimes abusing it and oftentimes um, using it. And I think in-person conversations can be the most effective. Of course, it's just, it's difficult to provoke them. I mean, you have to be the type of person that's going to say like, hey, I'm comfortable making you uncomfortable and let's sit with each other and look into each other's eyes as that happens. And that, I I think that's difficult. I think that's way more difficult than a lot of people want to admit. In terms of creative output, has, how has this period been for you? How has this period felt for you creatively? I think there's two things that have been going on. Um, One is the reality of all work being at home. And if you are a parent and your kid is no longer going to school, you then have that constant distraction of your child's needs, which has been going on for me. I mean, she's almost 10 and she's a good sport and she actually really does um, respect that like, hey, I need some time to do stuff. But even still, I cannot get into the same flow you know, you have a flow state where you are not disturbed and you're able to just really dive into your own thought space. And I have not had that since Corona started. Yet the positive thing is like this endless well of content, you know, I mean, like there's so many collective experiences that are happening for people you know, the concept of like social distancing or the concept of like not touching your eyes, like these, I don't, know if we've ever had global inside jokes like this. Um, I'm not sure we truly have that have like really crossed cultures and class and all this signifiers of division. And that has been kind of an opportunity, I guess, you know, to be like, oh, hey, how can I communicate within this like massive cultural conversation and say something that's relevant, not necessarily unique or individual, because I don't even know if that exists anymore, but at least I can say something that feels relevant in the moment to myself. Yeah, no, that's, that's so true. That just made me think of that, um, that song from Vietnam from the very early days of the coronavirus about washing your hands. And it was so jolly and cute and Mm -hmm. hilarious. And it was actually before things had gotten really, really serious here. I think it was in that period that you alluded to where, 
you know, maybe some of us, possibly myself included, thought that can't happen here. I can't happen here. And I mean, I don't, I, I, it's like the thing that's so difficult to admit is that we all exist in a self-interested zone, you know? So from a self-interested perspective, there is this tragedy of I can't perform, I can't do this. Yet there's also a relief of the lack of FOMO that plagues me as an artist who has ambition and goals and wants and desires and knowing that like nobody is performing and nobody is like is getting to live this glamorous successful life right now has been almost like a break from my own incessant ego chattering of how I'm a failure like I have a break from hating myself as completely as usual Oh, I think we can all relate to that um, to a degree for sure. Just from a work perspective, how have you had to transition to make things work? Because now you're in the countryside, you're not in New York. As a creative, it is not always the most lucrative path in the first place. So how has it been You know, when your in-person possibilities are essentially taken away? I think, you know, it's, it's weird because we live in a world where content is free, right? Music is free. Blogs are free. Media is free. Um, you know, maybe you have a Netflix prescription subscription, but prescription also. We can call it a Netflix prescription. prescription. <laughs> but like, you know, even as a content creator, if someone's, if someone ever asked me like, Hey, would you like pay a dollar to listen to my comedy? I'm like, what? No, <laughs> I want to get it for free. So I think that's actually a greater question, like beyond Corona is just, I think we're fucked. Um, I do. I think art is, I mean, I most musicians make their money from touring. I mean, I, I finally had someone who was interested in, in helping um, fund and produce a one woman show and can't do that one woman show now, but of course I'm writing it to be a film project because I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stop. You know, you, I think we just have to keep being really creative and um, moving as fast as we can towards how to be a part of the ever-changing landscape. But I, I guess it's kind of vague because, I mean, what's Broadway going to do? How, how, how are people going to have huge, massive shows? How's Madison Square Garden going to work out unless we all just agree that we're no longer believing in this uh, social distancing? Yeah, that's, I mean, you brought up so many interesting points. I mean, one of them is just kind of keeping on moving. And I've really actually heard similar sentiments from so many people. And what I kind of love about it is that you keep generating, keep the creative process going without necessarily knowing what the direction is or what the end goal is, but there's something just in and of itself of, you know, doing, doing the work. Yeah, I think creative people are kind of used to this, like sitting at a cliff and not sure who's going to catch you if you jump mentality. You have to be slightly delusional to be in this space because there's so many uh, more concrete and obvious jobs someone could have that's like you have a 401k and you have these guaranteed kind of milestones of you hit this at this point and you put in this many hours or you go to this school, you get this degree. I'm not saying anything is simple for anybody, but if you're creative, you're taking, you are committing to a riskier lifestyle. 
And I mean, one other thing that you brought up that I am curious about, like you said, I mean, we don't know Broadway, Madison Square Garden. I mean, it's kind of impossible to make predictions. So in a time when everything is just utterly uncertain, how are you personally, um, you know, trying to make plans for your own future? I guess by being a self-contained unit, you know, so I am lucky in the sense that I know how to edit. I've been using, you know, Premiere Pro for 10 years and I know how to deal with lighting. I know how to deal with audio. I'm not a master at any of these things, yet I have had practice and I continue to get better at becoming a one-person shop in terms of content creation and not relying on anyone else. I edit all my own things. And so I think there's actually a real opportunity for like the scrappy underdogs to be like, okay, I actually know how to do this, this, and this, and this, and I'm not going to wait for someone to tell me to do it, or I'm not going to wait for someone who's like a master to get it done. I think that because we're going to have like no fall programming at all for TV and there's barely any sports and everyone's watched, you know, every Netflix possible thing. I I think there's actually a huge opportunity for independent content creators. And I think there is something exciting about um, non-corporate media because, you know, there is a massive corporate agenda. If you look at music and the kind of messaging that is promoted through music is very consumerist and all about kind of capitalism and wanting and having and needing and I think you're going to get a lot of interesting music and also with comedy and content creators, it's just, if we're not filtered through a corporate agenda and through the censorship of, you know, what advertisers want, I think there is like massive truth to be uncovered and nuance and, you know, a very interesting way of sharing perspective that isn't filtered through an agenda that isn't the people's, you know? So I've been really inspired by your work and it's also made me laugh a lot but I'm wondering if you have any advice for fellow comedians and just creatives in general who are struggling as you know there are a lot of people who are finding it difficult to see those silver linings so what would you say to them to try to just help people I think the main thing is just approach your art with curiosity and experimentation, you know, and don't expect everything to just pop off the way you necessarily want it to, but just show up and show up and challenge yourself to to try something you haven't before or to dive deeper into something that may feel uncomfortable or to use your depression and your anxiety and your emotional instability as part of your message because sharing that part of yourself is actually really healing and really important for others. I think we just have to keep experimenting and not beating ourselves up about it not being perfect. You know, like nothing can be, nothing can be perfect right now. I don't even think people are that interested in perfection or things being that polished. I think people are interested in authenticity and, and voices that are exploring, you know, yourself. I just think like explore yourself fully. Like let's all be mini philosophers in our journey to express ourselves. And that's going to be messy. Um, well, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time and 
sharing your wisdom. And I'm going to include links to um, your website and your social media in the show notes so that people can learn more about you and also enjoy uh, some healing from some of your hilarious and also perhaps controversial to some people um, content. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I, I really appreciate it. Social media likes are my self-esteem. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You heard it. <laughs> if this episode inspired you, please share it with a friend and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, visit changeofplanspodcast.com. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in.